0: Just how far reaching is sin? How pervasive is it? How pandemic? Well, that is a question that Paul answers here in the book of Romans with an amazing answer that really quite shocks us. And we need to consider it to understand grace next. Next time you commit a sin thinking it'll only affect you, if anybody, you need to stop and reconsider just how pervasive sin really is. In fact, the very first sin plunged the whole universe into ruin, and it groans. Welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We're back here in the book of Romans where we are reminded again of just how deep sin really is and why the cost is so great to pull
1: somebody from it. Here's Pastor Steve. This creation that we see all around us is longing for glory. It's longing to be transformed. It's longing to be changed. You say, well, changed to what? John Murray does a good job in his commentary on this text. And he talks about verses 20 to 23, and he says this, angels are not included in creation because they were not subjected to vanity in the creation that we're talking about here in the text, and to bondage of corruption. Satan and the demons are not included because they cannot be regarded as longing for the manifestation of the sons of God. And they will not share in the liberty of the glory of the children of God. The children of God themselves, believers, are not included because they are distinguished from the creation. He talks about them as we read a little later down. He said, we ourselves will groan. Well, who is he talking about here? He goes on, he says, even the unbelieving of mankind cannot be included in this definition of creation because... The earnest expectation does not characterize them. They're not, they're not looking for that. He says, in other words, all of rational creation is excluded by the terms of 20 to 23. Of the verses there in 20 to 23. The only thing that's left, he says, is non-rational creation. Animate and inanimate. What's he talking about? What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about the physical world. Plants. Matter. Animals. Animals. Hills, stars, seas, rivers, lakes. His argument is that nature is in an imperfect state, but it's longing to be liberated from that imperfection. It says there that creation is eagerly longing. Eagerly longing. It has the idea in the original language of someone standing up on their tippy toes, kind of waiting for somebody to come home. You ever seen that, parents? When your kids know you're coming home and they're in the front window and they're looking over the, you know, the thing. Boy, we can't wait till Daddy gets home. Or maybe you're you're, you're peering at something off in the distance. You're, you're 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 just waiting for it. That's what the idea is here: is sticking your neck way out to see something in the distance. And it says here that nature is on its tippy toes, looking into the the distance, waiting. To be transformed. Waiting for that glory to return. And it refers to anticipation. It refers to readiness. Well what is nature looking for it says. It says right there in the text. For creation waits with eager longing for what? For the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing. That word reveal means to manifest or to unveil something. So all creation is waiting for the unveiling of the sons of God when believers enter their perfect state when believers enter that glorification that's promised to us 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 says beloved now we are the children of God and it does not appear what we shall be but we shall know that when Christ shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is you know, when you live here on this earth, hopefully people see something different in you. Hopefully they sense something different about you. But you know what? People can't look at you and say, oh, you're a Christian. Yeah, I see that big S there inside you, the spirit. They can't, can't do that. You just look like everybody else. Why? Because we're veiled in our humanness. We're, we're clothed in our humanness. When Christ came to earth, what happened? Jesus Christ took on a human body. For 30-some years, he lived in a human body, even though he was fully God. And yet, at times, people doubted that he was God. Why? Because they just saw the body. Now, when he did some of these spectacular events, miracles and things, they, whoa, they were impressed. But even then, the, the people that didn't want to believe, they said, oh, you know, he probably does that by the power of Satan, <laughs> right? They, they still didn't want to believe. Jesus didn't walk around with a little halo around his head, and people said, oh, here comes the Messiah, see the glow, you know. That, that's not how it worked. He was veiled in a human body. Well, that's what we are today. We are our future glorification, but we're veiled in this body. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall also appear with him in glory. Creation anticipates this time when saints will be glorified and shine as stars forever. Why? Why are they anticipating that? Because they know the same thing's going to happen to them. Creation does. Because creation was subjected to, to the curse. Look at verse 20. It says there, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That word futility means aimlessness or vanity. It speaks of the inability to fulfill a purpose that you were created for. What's he saying? He's saying nature can't do what it was created to do. Just can't do it. It can't fulfill its reason for existing. What's the reason that creation exists, everybody? For God's glory, right? Well, right now, it's having a hard time doing that. Now, I get it. You can go up to Yosemite and look at Half Dome and go, wow. And who do you glorify? You glorify God. Can you imagine what this place looked like before the curse? Oh, it'd blow our minds. I mean, we couldn't even contain it. We're seeing it post-curse. And so nature's frustrated. It's, it's it's trying to be all that God wants it to be, but it's being held back. Genesis one thirty one says, "God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was very good." What does that mean, dads? Practically, that means that there's no weeds. <laughs> there's no bugs that are going to bug you, irritate you. There's no sin. There's no curse. See, the Garden of Eden was a place where the glory of God flourished. Adam didn't have to work to maintain the garden. He, he did. He, we, he did some things. He picked fruit. He did some other things. But it wasn't to maintain the garden because of weeds or whatever, because there was none. It was perfect in every way. But when man sinned, the Bible says that nature was subjected to futility, it says. In other words, it can no longer reflect God's perfection. It's skewed. It's like a dirty mirror, dirty windshield in your car. What is it with car windshields? You know, you clean them. Now, I'm not talking about the outside. I mean, you know, you can do that, but on the inside. You know, I don't know if it's just our car or what, but you know, you clean the inside windshield, you know, and you go a couple days, especially when it's hot. And all of a sudden you see all this stuff. just like a fog, like somebody just. I don't know if it's emoting some kind of fumes from the dashboard or what, but I mean, you can literally play tic tac toe on your windshield. That drives me nuts. I long for the day that, well, we won't have cars and up there, but yeah, wouldn't it be great <laughs> not to worry about this stuff? But it says here, that it, creation was subjected to futility. That verb's in the aorist tense, and what that means is that something happened in creation at a moment in time in the past that has ongoing consequences. The earth became subject to futility, nature became the victim of decay and corruption. That's why there's smog, that's why there's pollution, that's why the earth is deteriorating. It's not us, as all the tree huggers would want you to believe. You know, go plant a tree and all this stuff. Look, this earth is declining. You could take all the cars off the planet, close down all the factories, stop anything that would cause human pollution. You know what's going to happen to this earth? It's going to (laughs) decline. Because that's what's happening. Now, granted... I mean, pollution probably adds to the process. But you know what? It's just fulfilling the purpose of God in the long run is the way I look at it. So, hey, have at it. We were at dinner last night, and I was asking my friend. I said, what do you think about the drought? You know, his background in dealing with water and did this down the Coachella Valley for years. He said, drought? What's this? <laughs> it's water. Well, yeah. But don't you He goes, yeah. The reservoirs are a little low. Happens every seven years. True. See, we live in a world where we have people that are looking for certain things to jump on the bandwagon on. And it boils down to getting their hand in our pocket so they can take our money. I mean, it could, you know, we're probably going to have a pretty crazy winter. You know, I mean, they probably have some flooding. But you know what? We're still going to be in a drought. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. They're not going to wake up after the major rains of this winter when everything's full and go, oh, you know what, (laughs) sorry, false call, you know, go ahead, water your lawns again. No, they're going to keep those things in place, I guarantee it. But it says that it was subjected to it. And occasionally we get a glimpse of creation in all its splendor. If you go to Tahoe, you go to Yosemite or Yellowstone and you look at the ocean, you just go, wow, this is just incredible. Just think about what it was before it was cursed. But really, creation here is a victim. It, it says here that creation was subjected. It's, it's passive. It means creation didn't make itself subject to futility. Something else did it. Creation was victimized, you might say, it was unwillingly subjected to futility. Excuse me, look at in, in Genesis tells us very clearly when, God, when Adam said to uh, Adam and Eve. for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you will return what is that that's god's curse upon creation it brought about decay disaster pollution degeneration everything and it wasn't just limited to this earth scientists tell us when they glean look out through telescopes and you know far far away galaxies or whatever they don't see things getting better they're winding down everything that we experience around us is under this subjection to futility. And I think what God wants us to understand out of this is, you know what? This is the tremendous, incredible, vast, tremendous reaching effect of sin. One sin did this. See, we, we want to believe today that when we find ourselves in a sin, well, it's not hurting anybody. It's, you know, it's not really, no. Sin always hurts. It doesn't just pollute one. Its ramifications are endless. They just continue. So we see that one man's sin polluted an entire universe. Because man's sin, creation fell. And what Paul is saying is that when man is restored to his glorious state, that God has planned for his children, well, guess what? Creation will be restored as well. We read last week... I'm not going to take time. We don't have time this morning, but we read the chapter of Revelation 21. And we looked at a place that was uncursed, an eternal glorious domain where, where God is, is there in all his glory and we will be too. And that's the hope that's spoken of at the end of this verse. Nature's looking for that glorious manifestation of the children of God because that's when it will be freed from the bondage of corruption. Somebody asked me one time, well, how do you know the, the, uh, the theory of the science of evolution is not true? And I said, because the opposite's true. What do you mean? It's not hard to figure out. I asked them what year their car was. 2,000, whatever. I'm sure it's in better shape than when you first bought it, right? I mean, it's probably shinier and it runs better. And Well, no, it's 10 years old. Why would that? Yeah, exactly. Still didn't get it, but <laughs> no hope, you know. It's just, Whatever. I mean, it's kind of common sense. You know, the universe is not evolving, it's devolving. Everything's falling apart. It's not on an upward trend, it's on a downward trend. It's moving from absolute perfection to total disaster. And us driving a car or running oil in our factories or whatever, or burning coal, is not going to hinder this process. But one day, creation will be restored. It says in verse 21... That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That word there, set free. Once again, it's a passive word. In other words, creation will be renewed by God. It's not going to renew itself. You hear these people talking about renewable energy, wind, and and all these things. And you, you talk to somebody who would drive an electric car and... I mean, if the government didn't subsidize these things, they would never make it. Why? Because they're not perfected. They don't, they don't really do what they say they can do. I mean, they've, they've done, gone far away with it. But the idea that you're going to use energy and, and somehow it's not going to affect anything. Where do they make the batteries for these cars? What kind of toxic things do that? I mean, who knows? I mean, you know. And I'm not saying, please understand, I'm not saying we go out and we abuse this creation that God has given us to enjoy. I'm not saying that. I mean, we do our part. You know, guys, go home, cut your grass, and, you know, pull the weeds, and, you know, do what you have to do. But don't think somehow that's going to bring back the glorious nature of creation before the curse. Well, it says here in verse 21 that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Second um, Peter chapter 3 describes what will happen. It describes it kind of vividly. You can look at that if you want. Second Peter chapter 3 in your Bibles. All the way in the back. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and the heavens will pass away with, with a roar, and the heavenly bottle, bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to live. To be in lives of holiness and godliness. Waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to. To his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what I tell the folks when they come around. Hey, will you try sign my little petition to save the trees? It's like, no, I won't. What do you mean? You, you don't want to save the trees? Not really. I got, I got better things to do with my time. Well, why wouldn't you want to save the tree? God's going to burn it all up anyway. Usually, they just going to run to the next house. <laughs> Everything is going to be burned up, beloved. Colossians chapter 1 Verse 15 to 17, well, in Second Peter there, verse 11, when it says all these things will be dissolved, that word in the original means set loose. In other words, basically, it's just going to let go. I mean, when you stop and you think about molecules and atoms and all that stuff, and these things flying around in there, who's holding all that stuff together? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17 tells us Jesus is. It says in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And then look at what it says in verse 17. And in Him all things hold together. So one day, Jesus is going to get the nod from His dad Let her go, son. Okay. (laughs) And he's going to let it go. And everything is just going to come apart. We're not going to need a nuclear weapon for this. God's going to take care of it. I'm sure that he will figure it out. And so the creation will be restored, but also we will be restored. When nature is freed and it will be delivered into the glorious liberty, look at what it says there, of the... Children of God, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I mean, one day, beloved, we won't have to deal with this body that we know. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's why when we talked about this body is keeping us from glory, we can't enter glory with this body. We have to leave this body behind. That's why to be absent from the body is to be what? present with the Lord. So he says, Paul says, this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You shall not all sleep, but you shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. For when the Perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortality and the, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that it is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor, look at this, is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Everything else you do is in vain. Do you ever think of it that way? That clock you're punching 10, 12 hours a day, it's in vain. Not going to last. Only what you do for the work of the Lord will last. And ultimately, we'll all have new bodies. We'll be glorified as Christ is glorified. I mean, Jesus was kind of neat when you read about his glorified body in the Gospel accounts in Acts, that his glorified body, he was able to walk through walls. He was able to eat. That's a good thing. Right? See, we have this great hope for a future. We know what's going to happen to us. We know where we are going. The Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says our citizenship is where? In heaven. And so we should have this same kind of anticipation. Verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. In the pains of childbirth until now. Until now means right up to the present. Groaning here, it's, it's, all, it's all happening together. They're groaning in harmony if that's possible. I think what I want you to see out of this is the next time you try to justify your own sin. Think if you had committed the first sin. What the implications would have been. You would have polluted this whole universe One commentator writes this, As the leprosy not only defiled the man who was infected with it, but also the house he inhabited. In the same way, sin, which is the spiritual leprosy of man, has not only defiled our bodies and our souls, but by the just judgment of God has infected all creation. The good thing is they're in the pains of childbirth. You mothers who have gone through this and experience know what it's like. But I don't think any of you who have a child and have gone through the pain of childbirth would say, ah, you know what, this wasn't worth it. No, you, you, you coddle that baby and you, wow, you're filled with joy. You're just overwhelmed with God's blessing because of this new life that God has given to your family. Even though it was painful going through the process. And the idea here is that, you know what, the pain is worth it. It's not futile, it's not hopeless, because something good happens in the end, that ultimately, God's glory will take place.
0: God does prevail in the end through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our series is simply entitled, Three Groans for Glory. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible-teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-366. 9923 again that's 6503669923 or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org we've got a lot of resource materials available there more information about who we are and if you need a map to visit us at grace bible church that's there as well again gracefultruth.org and would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today, and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth.